HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer Distributors. For more information, visit unionbeerdist.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's October 3rd, 2017. It feels like October in New York. It's a little chilly out. Yeah. We're wearing our sweaters. Dan Pucci, Lauren Wilson, welcome hey. to the show, guys. We're uh, here on Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network, and uh, we're talking about the upcoming Cider Week NYC. Big shout out to our sponsor, Union Beer Distributor, supplier of world-class ales and ciders. All right. So yeah. Lauren Wilson, Dan Pucci, Cider Week New hey. coming up. It feels like cider. It's, it's kind of crisp in the air. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Definitely. And uh, t- just tell us about, you know, we know your background, Dan, you, the, the pommelier. You've been on a few <laughs> times. But uh, Lauren, it's going to be kind of your show today because I didn't know how, how much you're into cider. I know you're on the board of Slow Food NYC. You're an mm-hmm. editor for Edible Brooklyn, Manhattan. Yeah. But you wrote a great article recently about a Normandy ciders. Mm-hmm. And uh, you tell us how you got interested in cider. And I know you, you've got a story, backstory with Dan. Oh, yeah. Dan has been very helpful uh, for a long time for me as a source um, for stories and also just general education. Um, my initial interest in cider actually started uh, when I moved to New York and started this job with Edible. Um I am from the Southeast. I grew up in Western North Carolina, which is an apple producing region for sure, but nothing like I had ever kind of encountered um, in New York. And uh, so about four or five years ago, I kind of saw the stirring of, of what seemed to me had been happening at one point with beer and was excited about the experimentation um, and decided to follow it as best I could from afar while trying to follow everything else in New York City. Um, And Dan inevitably has been involved with that. Um, So in any case, uh, recently this article I wrote about Normandy came out of, uh, I went to an event at Wassail that was over, well, 
It's probably last fall or early winter. It was in January, January, so it was like, yeah. God, ten months, nine months ago. Yeah, this point. ten months ago. Yeah, um, which uh, <clears throat> there was a French cider maker who was coming to speak in the back room there, and you know there was programming series yeah. there. And um, I used to live in France too. I was there for about four years, and just curious about how French ciders perceived what it is generally as compared to what's being done in the U.S. Um, Spain, other regions, etc. So um, I just kind of went with an open mind to learn and went in the room was full of tons of professionals who had come from very far away to hear um, his name is Jérôme Dupont. And so he has Domaine Dupont, which are, is in, in Normandy, his, his techniques, his cider making. And I learned that actually uh, he is kind of a French cider maker who's, or his father is kind of at the genesis of Cider Week, coincidentally. Uh, oh, yeah. So maybe, Dan, you can speak to that, right? There was an exchange at There was some an point. exchange years ago with Glenwood, which is an organization based in Cold Spring, about um, an exchange of bringing cider makers from France. Maybe like here. 2010. Yeah, 2010 or so, 2011. Yeah. Bringing cider makers from France here to the United States and showing what we have here, and then American producers in the Northeast and New York State going back to France and kind of learning from their techniques and learning their understanding of how their culture and their started making things there. And we have a lot of producers here who are still, those relationships are still in place, and people still go back on a pretty, pretty regular basis to go learn and explore and yeah. kind of get a better understanding of what cider is in that context versus what is here in this context here in the United States. Can you name any of those producers? Who, who went? Or I know like some of the ones who went, but maybe have ongoing relationships. Uh, I know Elizabeth Ryan for sure goes back pretty regularly. I think she mm-hmm. usually there once a year or so. And she is... She's uh, Breezy Hill Breezy Orchards, Hill, which yeah. is like Hudson Valley Farmhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, she goes back pretty frequently, I believe. She's probably the most of anybody. I know like Dan, Dan at Slyboro also I think goes over occasionally as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of like yeah, kind of learning about cider making there from that perspective. And I know it's another big trip. The Northwest did a big exchange this year as well, where a bunch of Northwest producers up in Washington, Oregon, mm. British Columbia all went to France to kind of like learn about keeving and learn about their process and how do they can improve their cider ma- cider making in the Northwest by learning from the French. I yeah, think I that's, a gr- that's a great, you know, the impetus for Cider Week was about all the great apples in New York and, and trying to make value-added product. I always loved the connection w- with the great, you know, cider producing regions of the world, whether it's in Spain, England, and France. And I remember when, you know, American wine was starting out in the 70s, you know, the California wineries, you had a a taste and you had to compete against, you know, the top Bordeaux in France. And Mm -hmm. you can't can't live in a bubble. So I think it's a smart thing. And that's why you got on the show, because Mm -hmm. you wrote about Normandy ciders. And I think everyone really should taste, you know, the best ciders in the world. Yeah, Normandy ciders are so very different than we have here. Uh, and they're so very special and so very unique compared to what we, we, what we make here in the United States. There's very few people here in the United States who make anything remotely similar to what the other ciders they make there. And also, what, and it kind of the, what the angle of the article eventually took was, I think, that being able to go to a destination, an old world destination, to taste ciders, you have the privilege of tasting like centuries long tradition in the way that we just can't in the United States because it's yeah. so young and because of prohibition. So you have the privilege of being able to go in a relatively short space, um, and it's relatively cheap, I would say. I could break that down a bit more to put it into perspective, especially with wine tourism. It's much cheap, cheaper than that, but you can you can you know see traditions that are 300, 400 years old. Uh, get up and close up close with those producers, and then see people who are kind of taking that and turning it turning it on its head to do something very new and innovative. 
Dan, have you taken any uh, cider trips around the world? Uh, I was in Spain a couple years ago, but that's the only one I've ever So been most of your education was at All Wasail. domestic, yeah. So you had, more I mean, guy. let's just recap Wasail. When, when it opened, I remember suddenly... Uh, yeah, you had 2015. You had cider makers coming every week. Yeah, we had people there every week. We did a lot of shows with, with those cider makers. Yeah, we'd, we were dragging folks down from all over the country to get them to New York and take, drink cider. Uh, for a long time, we had somebody there at least once a week talking, promoting, and educating our staff there got I, I got talking to them and the staff there got the best education possible just like talking to producers and kind of getting an understanding of their perspective and where they're coming from in their everyday life and what they think about their products and how they talk about their products and things like that and that's kind of the best education you can ever possibly ever possibly get inside our world and for, and for mm-hmm. now like the, the the trends I mean it seems that there's so many you know multi-generational New York family farms yeah that are now they they used to do what pick your own apples and yeah other you getting picks into and cider donuts and things like cider. that yeah and and like uh, part of it part of the original idea of Glenwood's operation cider week was to like promote these ciders as a value added product uh, it's about making some of the bounty of New York State profitable again because New York State like before real cider came along uh, like apple prices in New York State were pretty low and these farmers were closing because it was not economical to really grow apples anymore like Mott's who's based out in uh, Williamson uh, out in Wayne County was like they're the big buyer of apples in New York State and they like economically it wasn't making sense for these guys to like grow fruit for Mott anymore because it wasn't making any money for them like they're actually losing money picking apples uh, which is nuts so the idea of Cider Week was to and the idea of cider growth in New York State was to kind of give these apples a home um, and to kind of give them a spot where they can hopefully make a product that people can actually make money on Part of our show today, we're, we're going to taste a lot of different ciders, and just tell us about the first one that, that you brought. It's um, pretty awesome. Or did you bring I didn't one? bring this Justin one. I think Justin, Justin brought, brought this. Yeah. But you could probably speak to like how this compares to the Angry Orchard portfolio, right? Yeah, so I mean, this is Angry Orchard's um, first floor Ovo Novello, or Forest Valley floor Ovo Novello, which is, um, I think this is the new vintage. This is Ryan Burke's um, brainchild up at, above Walden, New York. Um, this is all part of their like innovation line made from, um, all apples. This is probably mostly, um, most reciters of our blends of, uh, finger like high acid varieties like Northern Spies and then blended with Steve Wood juice, uh, which is like hair matches jerseys and Dabinette and things like that. Fub in Farnham, Farnham Hill. Farnham Hill. Mm-hmm. So it's usually Justin, a blend. you got to bring that bottle back in. So it's usually yeah. a, it's a blend of those that things. That went fast. And it the open novella is made, uh, he has these giant pooters. And this is made in those in those giant fooders, these giant barrels, which are pretty amazing. Everyone who hasn't been up to the new Walden thing should definitely go. It's a pretty amazing spot. It's really accessible too yeah. for tourists. And they do, do a large volume. Do they sell cider? Or they at sell the cider. Lab. They do sell cider retail at the place there. Like they sell this retail mm-hmm. at the place there, and they do get it out there. But where could I buy this? I mean, I'm a Angry Orchard. You know, you see it in every supermarket. But this is, you know, for people who can't see it, which is everybody listening. You know, it's, it's a beautiful <laughs> packaging. Uh, great stuff. Yeah, it's like a champagne esque bottle that's mm-hmm. got like a wax cap on it. Where would I get this? I honestly don't have an answer for you right now. Um, they do sell it, but honestly, because I would seen buy it. this again. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. It has like as much texture to it, and the acid's awesome. It's a really complex, delicious cider. Effect. I think you have to go to fancy cider events. Fancy <laughs> like, cider. I'm produced. I'm talking about Cider Week events. My event this year is Cider Feast. Mm-hmm. It's October 28th at Brooklyn Kitchen in Williamsburg. 
and uh, Angry Orchard will be there. Eden will be there. Quite a nice lineup cool. of, of cider makers. So they'll probably have some of these type of bottles. Yeah, they have there. the new like uh, Angry Orchard Eden collaborations. The new Angry Orchard. They've easy, done easy collaborations together. Yeah, the Angry Orchard. They did two them two so far, mm. which is the. Uh, they're called Understood in Motion series, and ones of Eden, and the second ones of, Ang- of Easy Orchards in Oregon. Hmm. And they're like, I had the Easy Orchard ones back in April or so, or May, when they're still like not quite fermented yet. And they were really awesome. And it's really Ryan was telling working with his, that was all juice uh, pressed out in Oregon from Easy Orchards versus the juice he worked with, which is Steve Wood juice. So similar varieties from very different growing spots and the juice behaves very differently in the center they make. It was very, mm. very different. So Dan, now that you're not at Wasale, you're a consultant, but are, are you going to these t- different cider makers? Yeah, I'm going to producers. Hanging out? Yeah, I'm going to producers uh, pretty regularly and hanging out and learning and, and kind of perfecting the craft of cider and kind of learning more about it and kind of hopefully applying that to other things and helping, helping them succeed better. Like this spring, I help open... Uh, Alex Wilson and Irene Hussey at Wayside uh, Hire. We did their awesome new cider tasting Wayside, room Wayside, yeah. up in uh, Andy's New York, which is really awesome. So we built that out this spring. We have a couple other things going on. We have a, a big festival happening this weekend up at Hunter Mountain, up at Hunter, up at uh, Scribner's Catskill Lodge. Uh, it's this weekend from Saturday and Sunday um, from noon till 6 p.m. Uh, it's $35 for tickets to get in and 40 at the door. And it's going to have, we're going to have this giant pork roast. We're doing this giant porchetta thing as well. Uh, we have about like a 10 or so producers coming with about 30 of insiders. Um, it's going to be a lot of cider to drink, a lot of pork to eat, um, and it should be really, really awesome for a great two-day festival. Are you working with anyone in the city, by the way, for in terms of beverage consulting? Beverage consulting? Yeah, I work with uh, Grist Mill right now, which is in Park Slope. On Fifth Avenue, Fifth Avenue First Street, um, we're kind of like rebuilding their beverage program a little bit right now, and kind of that's exciting. I really like them. Anyway. Yeah, they're super nice. They're yeah, I've known Jake since I've known him for about five years now. Cool. Um, at previous places, um, that's what I, I was gonna. You asked where we could get the the Angry Orchard special bottling. You know, what are the good places to get cider? I usually look to, to the Cider Week list of establishments. Yeah. But sometimes I'm, I'm at a loss. Like, to, where can I get a good good cider in the city? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not, honestly, it's it's hard. There's not enough places that sell enough cider with, like, regularity. Like, obviously, Stevens Bar, like, all, like, Cardiff Giant and uh, Owl Farm and Great Parker Harry, they all support cider like crazy, like, the amount of cider that that, that Carve Dryan sells is kind of crazy. Like yeah. he was like, I can't believe how much cider we sell. And it's like that's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, Steven's a huge cider fan, and, and it's amazing how much cider they sell there. Um, a couple places like uh, up in Hell's Kitchen, uh, as is, which is in Hell's Kitchen on Tenth Avenue, is a surprisingly a huge cider bar as well. I would never have thought that's Hell's cost. Kitchen that's <laughs> cost of uh, it's mostly because of, of Seth Jones who owns um, East Hollow Cider. He's like lives next door. And he owns this amazing orchard up in uh, Petersburg, and he just like mm. that's his regular bar. He goes there every every single time, and he's doing it there tomorrow night. And he just like he's like good friends with them. So he's like sell my cider, and they he he sells their cider, and he sells other ciders too. That's good to know for destination. I know it's awesome. And w- where do you like to get cider? Um, Is there a place you near know, you? Actually, there's uh, there's a couple surprising sources I've found for cider in the city without ever having asked Dan. Dude, shockingly. Um, one time I was on, 
specifically for Normandy ciders, I was surprised to find Eric Bordelais stuff on Food Kick, which is like Fresh Direct's um, <laughs> like direct delivery service that you can get in your house in like an hour. And I was like, what? I can get his Perry's and stuff on demand. True. Um, Covenhoven near me has a decent yeah. selection. Um, I would say, I mean, it's definitely not as broad as their beer. Um, and June Wine Bar here and there will have some. But again, as Dan said, it's it's a little inconsistent. Uh, across the board. Yeah, that's great, man. We're off to a great start here. Side of week preview. Be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. In 1996, Sheehan Family Companies, formerly L. Knife & Son, acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn. Union Beer has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. It has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Brooklyn and parts of Queens through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, Staten Island, and Long Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education at all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the seven counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit unionbeerdist.com. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, guys, it's Cider Week Preview. You got, hi, Lauren. Hi. Buddy, say your name, buddy. Say my name again? Yeah. Lauren Wilson, editor of Edible Manhattan and Edible Brooklyn. Awesome. I'm Dan Pucci, a cider person, I guess. Wall about hospitality. hospitality, yep. As you're frequently referred to, a pommelier. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is it not cider pommelier, it's pommelier. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so we just we tasted this uh, black duck Perry, and you just yeah, like, holy crap! This wow, is, this is the 2000, yeah. 2016 uh, black duck Perry that I I haven't tasted this cider yet. It is tannic. It is way more tannic than the cider has been in the last few years. I feel like it is so rich and has none of like the, and the r- cider or the Perry. The cider. Okay. I mean the, the Perry. The Perry. Yeah. Super. Yeah. It's so like astringent and delicious, and like it still has that kind of like crazy celery thing and like cantaloupe juice quality that the cider has but like the tannin's really been cranked up like way higher than it's been in the past so so up in the finger legs black duck and eaves and south hill they have like a secret treasure of uh old apple trees don't they yeah well, well, well what's amazing on the finger lakes is that um compared to the rest of new york state like finger lakes is not a traditionally like large orchard growing place like if you're gonna go apple trees, you're gonna make way more money and stuff growing apples on like Lake Ontario than the Finger Lakes, Hudson Valley. So the Finger Lakes orchard nutrition comes out of more out of a uh, organic farming, sustainable farming background. So all these producers are farmers and organic producers first, and then also having to make cider. 
Um, but their apple operations and their orchards, are they organic? I mean, my understanding maybe is... Maybe not or- organic per se, yeah. but they're all about... Like, the impetus of these producers are about this kind of... Most of these producers you just mentioned are all about... Um, like sustainable farming and things like that. That sort of philosophy, not necessarily certification. Right. And they're more, and they're not really about, they're not and their cider orchards that are grown for cider making mm. rather than having to be like, I have a dessert culinary orchard in like Ontario that I'm trying to convert to make a value added product. So they're cider, they're intentional cider producers because they're growing like weird varieties and like how else are you going to use all these weird varieties besides yeah, from cider? The fruit up. Yeah. Totally. So like, it's a really unique spot in the entire country because of that. Like, tradition and dedication of, orga- of organic and natural f- natural farming and like land stewardship that kind of emulates in the Finger Lakes that makes for some of the most like well-crafted and like for me like the best ciders in the country are from the Finger Lakes because they just they just do it right. So but what about the Perry then? So we're drinking something from Pears. This is Pears. So this is John Morell's Perry. He grew these, these Pears. He said he took 11 years to get a crop on these Pears. Um, and do they, you know the varieties? He grew, this is uh, Brandy but huff cap. Uh, he goes like five varieties of pears. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, I think, all peri pears. You're the he, only guy that knows it. He I know this is amazing. He usually <laughs> throws in a bunch of suckle pears into his into his mm-hmm. peri as well. Usually like a third suckle. Uh, although this has like way more tannin, so maybe there's oh less gosh. suckle than years past. Yeah. Um, but it's a monster, uh, and it's a it's a he's been John's a awesome curmudgeonly awesome guy. He's the first submit. He's also curmudgeonly yellow guy. And he his ciders are funky and delicious, although they're getting less and less funky every year. Uh, and it being much more, as being the James Dean of the cider world, he's uh, not James Dean, James Brown of the cider world, he's much more like making cleaner cider, it seems like. Hmm. Um, well, how, how do you taste this? Like for me, this this pops, it's tannic. I could drink this all night. I could drink this all night too. I mean, and I, in general, like Perry's, and I'm glad to see, or like see a little bit more of them coming out of New York State. Mm. I mean, how does this strike me? Dan said it very well. This is incredibly tannic. I mean, like the stringency in my mouth right now is like totally blown yeah. out. But um, it's still very, it's still very drinkable. You could, it, it, it's a little bit, it's a slightly sweeter experience, I would say, than a cider. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would be very happy with this. And pretty it's much, it's like any sweet context. in the front, but then the mouth's like, yeah. oh god, what the hell did you just do to me? Yeah, you kind of have to just kind of like slap your tongue a little bit. After. <laughs> just chomping, chomping, yeah. chomping. Any food pairing with this? Um, just drink it by itself. It'd be really good no, with pork. Yeah, pork is definitely the obvious answer here. Yeah. Um, or like root vegetables and things. Like Perry's really good for like um, like root veggies or like fatty, even like yeah, fatty something fish. really fatty. Yeah, like oily <laughs> fish would be good, like sardines yeah. or anchovies something like that. Would be really good for this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, root veggies, carrots. Getting hungry. This is very like fall that. menu, well, also, this, right? Also, this type of beverage, like these type of ciders and perries that are dry, they really do stimulate your appetite. Like, yeah, when really, we're talking about food, I'm like, I do need some food. With this. Well, because I'm, so, I'm like that. The cider is so tannic that I'm just constantly salivating right now. Yeah, uh, just because like my, all, how astringent it is in the palate. Just like, oh god, I need some like fat to like cleanse this out a little bit. Thank we better, god we're we better here. pass this around. And finish it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Dan, talk about Cider Week event. So you have a special event with Heritage Radio Network. Yes. Yeah, so on October twenty sixth, Thursday, October twenty sixth, over at one hundred Bogart, which is the new space down the street here. Um, we're doing this amazing Newtown Pippin event, uh, which is amazing. Newtown Pippin is New York City's like original apple, from, like the seventeen thirties. Um, it originates over in on an estate which is now what what is now Elmhurst, Queens. Um. The, the Newtown Creek. Newtown Creek, yeah. So Newtown Creek is where it comes from, most likely. 
Uh, and our space we're doing is right across Newtown Creek, so it's right near where we came from. We're basically, Newtown Pippin's an amazing apple because of the consistency across genetics, and that basically what we have today is what we have today is basically universally the same apple across the country. So I think. Uh, and it's the same apple that grows everywhere. Uh, Isn't it also one of the few cider apples that you can kind of do a single varietal cider with? They, yeah, it's a single... Um, y- yes. So we have a bunch of single variety ciders we're bringing from, that, from, from this thing. It's a very popular apple to make cider with in California and places like that. Hmm. There's not a whole lot actually grown in the Northeast. Uh, like Steve Wood thinks this is not a very good cider apple. But it's a... Uh, it makes pretty good cider usually. Uh, and it's a cider a variety that basically traveled across the country and it was pretty planted across the across the country in the early 18th century uh it goes down in like the 1790s it travels down to albemarle county and um it's like george washington's supply master Virginia, right? yeah. uh was from that area and he brought the apple down to albemarle county and they call it albemarle pippin down there but it's mm. the same variety um and it's pretty it's a pretty common variety throughout virginia in North Carolina, yeah. and then it goes uh, it goes west over the Gold Rush, and it basically it's, it's planted all throughout uh, California and up into Oregon uh, during as a way to like feed people during the Gold Rush. It was um, a lot of miners who like gave up like I hate mining for gold, so put orchards in kind of like feed the feed their people who are mining. So uh, like in California, you have like um, Newtown Pippin and Yale Bellflower, the two varieties that were popular in late 19th century, and they um, that variety doesn't really exist anymore, but Newtown Pippin is still around in quantity, mostly because of Martinelli's. Martinelli's still buys it every year. Uh, it's the main variety they use in their like in their pasteurized apple juice. Still hmm. Newtown Pippin. Um, so, me and Darlene Hayes, who's a um, retired biochemist from Cal- from Sonoma County, um, she here and I are doing this event over Heritage Radio. We're bringing around twenty five different Newtown Pippin apples from around the country, from like. Michigan, New York, and New Hampshire, and Virginia, and North Carolina, and Washington. We're bringing them so all you're together. Actually, going to taste apples. We're going to taste apples, and we're going to. Uh, Darlene's going to have them all measured out in terms of pHs and sugars and everything like that. And then we're going to. Uh, we're going to have about a dozen ciders at the same time. Um, some of the ciders we have are going to be made from the apples from the same orchard we also have. And then we're going to taste all the ciders as well. And actually, Ryan Burke from Angry Orchards helping us with the tasting. He's going to kind of guide us through this, like, tasting that we're going to do with everybody. So we have around 12 ciders now that are Can around. Can name, name a couple of those cider producers? Uh, so we have Tilted Shed has two ciders that we're bringing from two different orchards in, two different orchards in uh, Sonoma. Uh, we have Angry Orchards bringing some ciders. We have uh, Kite and String, which mm-hmm. is Good Life, which is not Kite and String cider, is bringing some. Uh, we're also getting some from uh, Dragonhead Orchard up in Washington State. Um, we're getting some from Diane Flint down in Virginia. So She's, this is really like a national, like it's a national thing. It's really cool. Yeah, it's we, very different environments. We did this? We did this event last year, kind of at Wasail with golden russet apples, mm. and it was me, Darlene, and Autumn from Eve Cider. did it, and we collected around twenty-five apples, and we collected around twelve ciders and did tasting with it. And what we ended up learning is that golden russet is actually not one variety, and that the, what we call golden russet is actually um, probably a collection of different apples because it's a descriptive variety that doesn't really appear until like the 1840s. Mm. And people in the 1840s are like talking about old trees and then no one before them are talking ever about old trees. So it's kind of like people had rusted golden apples at some point. And so like, oh well, yeah, this is a golden russet tree. Uh, Rather than actually like 
They use it more of like a descriptor than an actual name for a particular variety. Yeah, but we talk about yeah. now in terms of a, as an actual variety. So like in our collection of like 25 apples we collected last year, we probably had around like four distinctive varieties. And our biggest difference was actually not where the apples came from, but actually where the orchard got their rootstock from, their budwood from, was actually the more important thing than anything else. We had like mm. some pretty clear genetic traits of like, like the apples from... Uh, Ian Merwin at Black Diamond Finger Licks looked much more similar to like apples that come from some mascot orchards because they have the same rootstock or they have the same budwood origins versus Eve's whose apples look much more similar to Farnham Hills because again they're from the same probably the same origin point and that was our biggest thing and like some of the guys in Colorado also just totally random varieties that like didn't look right at all. So mm. so for you guys, what are people actually drinking? Because there's so many, you know, specialty, small, you know, cider makers that I love. A mm-hmm. lot of them I met through you. But what are people actually drinking? You know, there's ma- mass brands that we don't want to mention. But but people are drinking... Go on. Can't well, mention I mean, I guess the, to clarify your question a little bit, do you mean people are asking or what are people drinking in terms of cider or what are people drinking in general? Cause I think we were talking a little bit before the show about the fact that, you know, where is cider drinking nowadays in general? So I don't know. I would ask you to clarify the question a bit. I think you just did. So, <laughs> so what do you think, Dan? For cider, for people drinking for terms of cider, people are still experimenting with cider. Like it's, um, people are like unsure of cider in terms of like how it actually exists in their lifestyle. And like, we haven't quite figured out a way in the cider market to like, get people to drink it every single day. They got to make it part of the routine. Um, we were saying people like to like try a lot of ciders and like, um, there's a lot of Nielsen data done last year on ciders. And like the result were about like people want to try a lot of cider. People are really about experimenting right now. Not really brand devoted to a cider right now. So we're still like, I feel that way. I, I did a party this summer and people went right. There was beer, <laughs> cocktail, wine, and people drank that the way they drink those mm-hmm. beverages. And then there a small selection of four ciders and everybody who went up to the cider table wanted to try all the ciders. Yeah, it, it's it's like that. Last year was like, like people were very pick, not picky, but they're particular. And that with cider, they want to just kind of like they're not loyal customers. They just kind of want to try like whatever they have. They want to try everything. They want to try cider for the sake of trying cider. Um, and that's good, but at the same time, like we don't in the cider world, we don't have enough language vocabulary yet to really describe the differences between ciders. That like we need to like have more of an education in terms of like what it actually means for us rather than just like these things taste different. We need a little more like context than that. Lauren and and edible. Have have you guys written a lot about ciders? So cider, I would say ends up in at least every drink issue we do every year, which comes out um, annually. Uh, But, and I, and I stuck it in the travel issue this year with, with Normandy, but we've done pieces that, you know, range from even just a primer on, uh, New York cider apples, so ones that are varieties from New York State that you see often in, in different things, which is how I had heard of New mm-hmm. Temple before. Um, but it's, I feel like a lot of cider writing takes um, inspiration in many ways from, from wine writing. I think it's still figuring out its own distinctive voice that doesn't follow in line with that entire thing uh, and that, that sort of history. But um, I mean, the reason when I moved to New York, the reason I got you know interested in insider was because there's so much of it. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there, but it generally is spoken about in a very similar way that wine is spoken about. Yeah, 
Are there any events for Cider Week that you're looking forward to? The So I'm just now getting like sort of notifications in my inbox right now of different ones coming up. And so the one Dan referenced about Newtown Pippin sounds like wonderfully nerdy to me. There yeah. was another one. I think it's just a media tasting, and I wasn't aware of this. It's gonna be a big one. It's, not, it's media and everybody else. No, no, a different one. That's that's about. Um, it's New York ciders that won some international awards. I think called like Hidden Stars, and it's yeah. on Wednesday at the Astro Center. It's gonna so be, it's not just media. Maybe there's just a media. It's preview. a media preview for okay, it. And okay, and there's gonna be a media and, pre- and trade preview. And there's yeah. gonna be a Wednesday, bigger event. October 25th. Yeah, at the Astro, Astro, mm-hmm. Astro Center. It's gonna be like our big. It's our big event this year in terms of like our. Like our big tasting, our grand tasting with all the producers who are participating in Cider Week this year to kind of like go around and taste and try it with the ciders. We're going to have some talks and stuff. So could you speak to though, like that sort so, of international competition and so how yeah, that was So that was, um, that was, uh, I believe it was from the, the, the international, the, the Bath Cider Show, which is like the big cider show in the UK every year in the, in the West Counties. And a bunch of cider, a bunch of, there's an exchange this year where a bunch of producers from New York State, went over to England to kind of learn about cider making this year over in England. So, like, uh, Autumn from Eves went, and Dan Wilson went, and I know Dan, Dave the Fisher went, and Ryan Burke went, and Elizabeth Ryan went. It's kind of like, I'm missing some more as well, who all went to kind of learn about cider making this year. And they went to this 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 show with their cider, and a bunch of them, like, won awards and placed awards in this, like, in this, like English, this American ciders won in the English cider show. Wow. So it was kind of like, hey, like, screw you Is that you kind of like the first time that's happened? Uh, it's, I think it's the first time we've really, like, have tried to do it <laughs> um, kind of thing. Like, we haven't done it before, so it was the first time, per se, but it's definitely, like, for us, like, it's a big thing. Like, you get a toast to that, David. Yeah. yeah. Cheers. I mean, my glass is empty. Is that yeah. bad? It is bad. <laughs> Dan's not a good, he's not a good pommelier if your glass is so, empty. Yeah, so it's, it's a big deal. I think oh, it's because a lot of the world is kind of looking to us right now as the United States in our market here because... We have this really fast and really growing cider market right now that the world's still trying to figure out, like, the, while the other world is trying to figure out how to make cider make sense for them. But the um, cool- and I would say that's the same thing when I learned in Normandy, yes. too. So um, Jerome, who came to Wassail and all these American cider makers were flocking to meet. I mean, if you look at a lot of his products, he does a lot of international research. I would say more so than most Normandy yeah, cider makers. He is a lot of his businesses built around exports, but you know, 60, 70% of his business is exports and he's looking to see the ways that we're consuming alcohol in general so he can appropriate his cider to that. Um, so he's making all sorts of stuff that is not in the traditional like Normandy canon to do that. Um, so I would say, but he wants to target like markets like the US where we're open and interested in different things because in France it's pretty close. Yeah, it's pretty closed. As a younger generation, just thinks it's an old person drink. Yeah, no one. No <laughs> That's one, what I wanted you to say. That that yeah. was in your article. I loved your. Yeah, article. that was in my piece. No one drinks like outside of like rogue random things. No one drinks cider in France besides. Yeah, on vacation in Normandy. <laughs> Except on vacation in Normandy, exactly, exactly, and then also there. So, Julian Fremont, which is another maker who I mentioned in my piece, he is starting to distribute. There, there is a place for, I feel like, certain ciders in the natural wine world in France, and he is starting to distribute in a lot of natural wine bars in Paris. So there is an opportunity there, but yeah. French tradition is not necessarily very open to new things. No, it's the same thing in Spain, too. Like, the Spanish market is also like pretty closed, and it's not like they drink a very traditional product, which is the Spanish Cidre, which is delicious and all that stuff. But, like, there's no market for that outside of the Basque country or, like, at 
Bath Country or Astorias. Cool. We'll be right back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Go Cider Week. Woo! I don't go in for understanding when you are away. Can't use my heart to think away the Hey, like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We got the country theme. You know, uh, Lauren Wilson, she's uh, you're from a, a farm in North Carolina, aren't you? Let me get back to the microphone here. <laughs> I'm trying to do two things. Um, yeah, so I would, okay, pre-moving to New York, what got me interested in cider is that I grew up on a farm in North Carolina, um, and my farm uh, is in transition right now between generations, and I'm interested and curious about ways we can evolve the business of the farm and i'm interested in cider as a value-added product uh to to take into the future so i do have a personal interest here too yeah cool and let's talk about what connection natural wine ciders raw wine events let's keep talking about if that's what people are interested in i i do feel that the people that are younger, they want the natural wine, the same reason, way that people are inspired by organic food as, as a, you know, in general. I feel like they do want to drink better products. Yeah, so I, I think like... Our and we gro- don't really have a good, good labels, especially in cider. Yeah, we have really bad vocabulary in cider. Like, we have really bad vocabulary in cider, and like, I feel like the, the line between like really good cider that's made with great apples, that's fermented well and done everything properly... That line between those producers and the people who are doing things kind of half-assed is kind of really muddied. And it's not always easy inside our world to find, like, to kind of cut through some of that crap and, like, find things that are actually real and excellent for our But, products. Dan, you seem to have a vocabulary for cider, like... Yeah, but, like, that's not, like, it's not vocabulary cider that can actually, like, apply to, like... I don't think my vocabulary works well to, like, apply to, like, consumers to buy things. <laughs> okay, let's do the Dan Pucci quiz. Dan... <laughs> Uh, what is Isopus? Is- Isopus? It's a town up in the Hudson Valley. <laughs> it's where uh, I, I could ask town Pippin 150 names of places, and you would know. That <laughs> no one in America would know. <laughs> um, but I think that more importantly, like in terms of like natural wine stuff for cider, like like well-made orchard-based ciders are excellent, and they're low intervention, they're low tech, and like as the cider, as, like as like people want to drink like lower alcohol wines, and like. Like everyone's like everyone got really everyone wants to drink like eleven percent like Sauvignon Blanc, eleven percent like Cab Franc. Like what's more low alcohol than cider? Like the most ripest cider is nine percent, and like most ciders around like seven percent or so. It's half of what wine's at. So like, I feel Dan, like what's what's Scion? Scion or or wood? It's basically, it's a connection that goes on top of the thing. So like when you're grafting, when you're grafting, yeah. That's oh, yeah. very technical. <laughs> so you can ask them. This is the time. You ask some crazy questions. Um, but, I d- but I don't. I don't know if that's necessarily our most interesting path. We can go down. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I've, for hours. Yeah, to. we could go for hours in that way. I feel like I get um, an education every time but, I talk to him. But. I, I I just feel like we can do like like the cider community can latch on to these things in terms of the modern drink trends, and we can kind of relate better to our consumers in a way that that shows that our products are real and have value to them. And like 
And like that's, and the media has a role to play here too. Yeah. I mean, like there's being, you know, a publication that talks about New York state and what's going on in the city in particular, um, you know, we'd be remiss to not be talking about cider, but I feel like it's part of a national conversation. You know, there's the once every six months piece in the times that kind of has to do about cider, but it's not necessarily risen to the level of wanting to have consistent national coverage. Um, and what need, like what, I don't know that this, we could look at the wine history. I don't want to like put it too much in the wine box, but what needs to happen to elevate that? I don't know. What I always talk about, talk about this is that, um, I always look to, I really think the name of this is, uh, Frank Schumacher, who is a like 1930s, 1920s, 40s, uh, importer of wine here in New York. And he basically is the guy who basically got varieties on wine labels. Basically what was going on is, is that prior to that, and still you can find that today in California, people were labeling wines like Chablis or like Mountain Burgundy or like semi or like, so or, the region as opposed well, to like what the but, composition, but, but it was like, was a re it was not a region. Cause it was like, it's in California and they're calling like California Chablis. Oh, and I have like California Chablis, California, Rhine wine in California, like Sautern, they're all probably basically the same grape varieties, but they like the idea was that like my Chablis was kind of like light and dry, and the and the Mosul was like a little light and sweet, and the Sautern was like fuller bodied and kind of sweet, and like there were more about the kind of ideas of what you thought cider with the wine should taste like rather than anything actually real. So like what happened was like. Customers. So like it was less specific. It was a more general way of talking about it as, as opposed to very specific. Right. So customers would like would buy this producer X's Chablis, and they're like, "Oh, this is kind of nice." And they would buy producer Y Chablis, and be like, "What the hell is this? This is nothing at all like that wine over there." Mm-hmm. And so it like it really kind of skewed people's expectations of what beverages, what the what, what the wine should have tasted like. So I think that like while variety is prob- maybe not the best answer for cider because like. Most ciders are blends of different varieties and and things like that. But like having that attention towards variety is an important way that we can kind of like get more detail into the cider community and mm. into the cider market and kind of learn more about like why I like X versus Y. It's oh, because it has Ashwin's Carlin and Golden Russet. And this one we hear has Yarlington Mill in it. And it's like, I like Yarlington Mill. It's a really nice apple. And it makes this flavor. It's like, well, but maybe not only that flavor, but other flavors too. So I think like, that's kind of the way we need to go forward with the cider community. Mm. And then other other things, labels, like for many years, some of the top, I call them the top grower cider makers, were trying to get behind the idea of American fine cider movement. Yeah. And now I think, I'd like to wrap them and talk about how ciders can be like grouped with natural wines in that category. Do you think that's the way to, to get more sophisticated palates interested in cider? I mean, it's a gateway, but I wouldn't want to stop there necessarily. I think yeah. that it, I think we're doing cider a disservice if we want to grow it, like the, the the interest in it, to really just kind of always put it in the wine category. I know that when I talked to Dan about some of the Normandy ciders that I tried, there was, in general, you, one of the lines you gave me was like, um, in general, you could compare some the traditional Normandy style to like a Petit Naturel wine, you know, that's like. Probably in Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, in any case, I think that's a good entryway, but I feel like it doesn't need to stay there. I think it needs to evolve if we want to really like create yeah, a cider Yeah, we need to have like an actual... Identity. We need, like, we need to like, grow on other people's movements, like put them a craft beer did and natural wine, things like that, but like we need to like grow cider as a thing. So you're, you're my consultant. We're opening a great little wine bar in, in Bushwick. 
uh, maybe the backyard of Roberta's. And, I, you know, I've got some wine. i got some cocktails. i got some beer. I want to have four ciders. We're going to go all out. We don't, we don't, we're not just going to have one cider. We want four ciders. What do you think would, would go well here at Roberta's? Here at Roberta's, uh, I think the black duck we just had would be great here. Yeah. That stuff's awesome. And With a really cheesy pizza. Cheesy pizza would be <laughs> great for it. Yeah. Um, then I would do uh, Eve's up in the finger like Sue because her cider is so good and so like perfect and everything like, everything I want to drink possible. Uh, She's my favorite in New York State. Yeah, her ciders are. Oh my god, they're so good. Uh, and then I think I, I'd be really curious. I know uh, Farnham Hill has a brand new. Um, they're making like a brand new kind of cheaper cider this year. I think that'd be really interesting to have too because it's like kind of has some bittersweet quality to it, but not quite so much so. Uh, it, it hasn't tried it yet, but. It, Steve Tillman's is really good. Then I would finally do like uh, Snowdrift's Red Cider, which is the most fun cider because it's Snowdrift's out in Washington State and they use this like crazy. What's it called? Snow Snowdrift. Snowdrift. He's out in uh, Wenatchee, Washington. I was out there like two weeks ago or so. I visited him and his ciders are excellent and so fantastic. And he makes this um, he makes this a crazy like red flesh cider. It's made from this like um, formerly wild Kazakh variety that got imported for some reason. He now has access to the it's fruit. It's like some deep history stuff. It's pretty weird. He <laughs> has someone, someone grows his apples for him, and he, he makes a cider out of it. And it's like he makes he's all grower producer except for this one cider he grow, mm. makes, which is the red cider, mm. uh, and it's his best selling cider because it's bright red and tastes bright red. It's like tastes like cranberry juice and berries, and it's it kind of like challenges what you think cider can be because it's like kind of dry and like really tart and really tart and like tastes red and it's not like fruity at all. It's Cool. Dan, I, I wanna, I'm happy that you stumbled into our sale and <laughs> mm-hmm. got that job because you've opened a lot of doors for all of us and so many great producers came in to, to see you. And, and then this last, this is a Pomo. Yeah. Lauren, you brought this? Yeah. So this is interesting because, uh, so I was visiting the Finger Lakes. I was at the Finger Lakes Cider House a few months ago. I guess it was in the early summer. And uh, Pomo is a drink I actually encountered in Normandy. I had never seen it in the U.S., but I was at the Finger Lake Cider House and saw it for sale there. And I was like, okay, I have to try this. Um, what is Pomo? Pomo is a liqueur that is essentially like what you, it, it, it's apple juice in Normandy that's been added to Calvados, which is the apple brandy that's also iconic of like the Normandy region. Um, there's several New York makers who are doing it. I don't think very many people are aware of what it is, nor no. and for that reason, they don't buy it. So yes. do you want to, Dan, we recently, I reached out to you recently because I had a writer do a piece on Pomo for our holiday issue. So do you want to speak to what Pomo is in New York state? Yeah. So Pomo in New York state is a uh, growing category. Um, most people kind of make it as kind of like, uh, a sweet beverage to have because it's, um, it's a little more easy, not easier to make, but it's a little more concentrated and simpler to make than like ice cider, which is a really hard thing to make. Um, so it adds something kind of sweet to their portfolio naturally. Um, so like I said, it's, it's fortified cider basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some really... 16, 17%. Yeah. And there's some really excellent ones here made in New York State. Like this one's excellent from South from Good Life. Uh, their new bottling under cat and string labeling is awesome because it's actually made from... Uh, ice cider juice. Oh wow! So it's like it's what it's they like add concentrated to their, their brandy, and yeah. then they brandy that up. So it's like super sweet, and like it's like forty grams per liter sweet <laughs> with the acid and the stuff. It's really awesome. And then um, also finger like you have South Hill and Black Diamond, which both make excellent pomo. Uh, and then the most serious pomo maker is probably actually uh, Orchard Hill. Carl DeHoffman at Orchard Hill makes like. His, like, I've had some of his, like, promote, he's been there for, like, seven years now, and some of his promote, like, it's still in barrel for, like, seven years, and it's, like, 
it's pretty cool and it's got some really interesting like concentration and flavor to it and stuff after all those years. I'm so a fan can of we, Pumo. Yeah, like well, can we also for people who maybe never heard of Pumo is to give a little bit of like how would you drink Pumo like, um, traditionally? It's an after dinner drink. Yeah, I think so. They also drink it as like I've heard of it like it's an aperitif, but like no one drinks it. No one drinks aperitifs ever. And then um like no one definitely drinks like sweet aperitifs. Mm-hmm. Um so like it's also good in cocktails and things like that. Like I like yeah, using it's a good I have a good for Many years at Jamie's number 43, before I had a liquor license, you know, people would be drinking beer all night. And on the way out, I would have uh, the Domaine DuPont Pomo. I'd have, they had a little a cask that I would put at the end of the bar, and I would give little little tastes of oh, it to the customers great. on the Jerome way out. I'd love to know that. So the whole point is that it's, it's, uh, it is great. Yeah, after you've had your beer or, or your cider, you want something sweeter and stronger on the way out the door. Yeah. It's definitely that drink. In fact, let's have some more now. We can... Okay. Close it out. That was uh, one more question, Lauren. You're really yeah. great. We might have to bring you back for another cider <laughs> show. I have to go somewhere else in the world and write about cider. <clears throat> but we have coming up. So uh, the big event, Heritage Radio Network with Dan Pucci and Darlene Hayes, our good buddy. Yeah. October 26th, and I believe the David. The tickets are on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. They are indeed. Yeah. Yeah. They just went live today. Yeah. Live right? today. Yeah. yeah. Our show it's October 24th. Great. The live beer sessions radio show will be with about still ciders. We're talking about a sp- particular type of cider, which we don't think about as much with uh, Steve Salen uh, from South Hill and Maria Kennedy, who's, who's a great uh, Cornell-educated you know, expert. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that week, October 28th, Cider Feast at Brooklyn Kitchen with about 15 producers. Kind of like the one Dan's doing at Hunter, but... yeah. Uh, you know, it's in New we'll York go, City. We'll call so. it's, it's called cider, it's in cider, in the, cider in the Mountains. So it's all yeah. like... It's a very nice new Bluestone patio. We're going to look over the valley. It's going to be pretty cool. But also another shout-out. we got a lot of shout-outs. Rye Week's coming up. There's so many New York things inspired by, you know, New York rye. Uh, now nine New York distillers have come together, and they've made a Empire State rye whiskey. And that's October that's cool. 18th to 22nd at New York Distilling. Check it out, ryeweek.com. And uh, also for beer. Hey, it's still Beer Sessions Radio. October 14th, New York City Brewers Guild, Blocktoberfest. Uh, there's so many great breweries in New York City. In fact, over 30. They'll all be at the well on October 14th. So, uh, Dan, once again, thanks for coming on. Oh, of course. Yeah, it's great. And what, what what should I drink tonight after this? Oh, uh, more more beer, probably. <laughs> so many, we, there's so many great new cideries cider. coming up. That's cider. The oh, wrong yeah, yeah. Sorry. Drink, always drink cider. Always be drinking cider. <laughs> well, you want to taste cider. That's what <laughs> always drink cider. But and uh, thanks for coming on, guys. Dan yeah. and Lauren, I'd like to thank our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors. Have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to our producer, Justin Kennedy, engineer extraordinaire, uh, David Tadashore, and thanks for listening. See you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thank you. Cheers. Woo. Cheers. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? 
rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.